happy Father's Day again. Um, good, good father was not on the set list for a reason. Because it should not be on the set list. Anyway, uh, if you have a Bible, let's go to Mark's Gospel, chapter 3. We're going to pick it up in verse number 20. I know we kind of ended on 20 and 21 last week, but it's going to bleed into uh, our time together. What? Like, everybody shifted over to the, to the left? What? Is that, okay. Like, everybody's normally right here, and so i got to readjust. If you don't own a Bible, the scriptures will be on the screen, and you can also grab a paperback uh, Bible that's out in the lobby, or you can just download it on your mobile device. Mark chapter 3, verse number 20. Then he went home, being Jesus, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. But they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he cast out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he binds, first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Verse 31, and his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him and a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Sorry, dads, you were excluded. Let's pray one more time over the reading of God's word. Father, thank you so much for your word. Although it was my voice that spoke. It was your word we just heard, and we're so thankful for it, God. We don't have to go searching and looking for different words. We have the truth, the eternal, absolute truth of God right here in front of us. I pray that you would sharpen us, and you would, um, we would be not just hearers only, but also doers of your word, as you just said. And I pray, God, that you would help us and be mighty to save in here. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, demons, Beelzebul, Satan, blasphemy, happy Father's Day. (laughs) Welcome to church, right? It's in here for a reason, uh, and we'll dive into that very thing. It seems like America has that same fascination with darkness, Right? It is zombie movies, it is zombie shows, it is monsters, it is 
post-apocalyptic type movies and TV series that is a cash cow for Hollywood. This is nothing that we have to view from a TV to understand. In fact, Jesus is really um, dealing with this on a daily basis. If you remember back in chapter one, Jesus encounters the demon-possessed young man and he throws the, he casts the demons out and the demons recognize Jesus for who he is. And the crowd is in awe of what happens to this man who once was possessed. We see this theme in Mark already where Jesus is kind of setting up his presence as one who is going to dominate over darkness, that he is going to be Lord over even Satan and darkness. And yet again, we find ourselves here where Jesus is illustrating that very same thing, that Christ is not the strong man, but Christ is the strongest man who will bind up Satan on the finished work of the cross of Christ. And the reality of it is, whether you want to believe it or not, is that we are two-faced on a daily basis with a demonic presence all around us. Now, I'm not suggesting that there is a demon behind every bush, nor am I also saying that uh, we need to not be aware of that there is a reality, a a dynamic reality around us, but we too are faced with things, things that are being uh, infiltrated into our schools, things that are being infiltrated into the culture that is trying to um, be a mandate onto churches to give in to the ideological um, ways of this culture. That is yet a demonic attack on us. And we're faced with this too on the daily basis. I can section this out, this, this passage that we just kind of read through. And there are three sections. The first section is Jesus being confronted not only by his family, but also by the the spiritual elite. So he's being confronted by the spiritual elite with an accusation. And then Jesus moves and he encounters and he confronts them with the accusations that they make against him. And then third, there is this um, some sort of family discussion on what to do with Jesus. They were trying to have a come to Jesus meeting with Jesus, but it didn't work out the way they wanted it to work out. This is a good section of scripture to dive into. And this starts out with his family being very concerned with Jesus. If you remember, that's how kind of how we, we left off last week. I don't think his family is being, I don't know, like uh, overly dramatic about it. They make they may have could have been, because you know your family's always dramatic about everything. Um, I don't think that was the case uh, in, for Jesus. I think they were, they were just concerned. They were genuinely concerned. They literally thought that Jesus had gone bonkers, that he was mad, that he had just lost his mind. I mean, just think, if your brother came out in his underwear and was like, behold, I am the Messiah, like what was your knee-jerk reaction? Come on, it's time to get in the car, right? I mean, nobody makes this claim of deity and somebody thinks that you're okay, right? And so you got to understand, like, there's this level of concern that the family, yes, they do have. They've been living with Jesus for 30-something years. And now he's out doing his ministry, casting out demons, healing people. 
There's no wonder these people thought he was kind of crazy, or a little bit short on the fries there. And then the scribes and the Pharisees come in, and they come down from Jerusalem, and they give him an accusation, and they say that he is of Beelzebul. I mean, have you ever heard that word before, Beelzebul? Like, it's the name that no one mentions, right? If you grew up in a charismatic church, that's what they told you, which is kind of weird. I'm still going through therapy. He is possessed by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. He casts out demons. So watch what, what the Pharisees are, have just done. They've just accused Jesus of um, being in collusion with Satan and also possessed by Satan, they just told you, Jesus, you're colluding with Satan, but you're also possessed by Satan. Now, Beelzebul is a familiar term, especially with the early Jews, and they would have known this word from the Old Testament. We see this in the Old Testament from Baal. Baal was um, a, a, a sort of like how they would reference Satan or, or the Lord of darkness. And then, so you have that word Baal, and then it's really two words, and Zabol, which means the house of dwelling. So they just call Jesus uh, Satan's dwelling place. They just called him the Lord of the dark dwelling. If you remember Baal, this was a familiar uh, and the, the scribes, they knew what they were doing, right? The, these Pharisees, they knew what they were doing. Their, their remembrance was possibly from 1 Kings chapter 18, I believe. When, if you remember the story, Elijah, you know, he goes out with like this little, this little war with, with the prophets. And they're like, let's, let's compare gods. <laughs> it's a really funny story. You should go and write it down and read it later, 1 Kings 18. And, and so they're like, okay, whoever can come down, whoever's God... It rains down fire and consumes the altar. He is God. All right, so Isaiah is over there like, like waterboarding his uh, altar, right? He's going to just cons completely consume it with water. Meanwhile, those prophets, they're over there. They're kind of like, they're cutting themselves. They're praying to Baal, come down and, and, and consume the altar. And you remember what Elijah says? Your God is on the toilet, and, and, he, and, he, and he looked, that, I mean, that's not actual translation, but that's kind of how it's translated. And then he says, I will show you that, that God, Yahweh is God, and God consumes his watered down, waterboarded altar with fire. So this is kind of, this is Baal. This is that, that Lord of darkness, the one whom they are referencing Oh, Jesus, you're that guy who the prophets uh, prayed to and asked to come rain down, and, and he never would. You're that false god. So they're, they're essentially calling him Satan and a, and a false god. Now, now, notice how Jesus responds to them because he gives them two different parables here. Watch, look back at verse 23. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. There are two different ways that a government can crumble. There are two different ways that a government or that a kingdom can fall. And that's fighting from within. And that's also fighting from outside. And this is what Jesus is, is essentially telling them. Like, 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 
I'm, I'm not fighting from within, nor am I fighting and come to fight from outside. So, so from the outside and from, from, from within, and there's, if there's fighting from either of these two ways, like, like think about fighting, fighting from within. Like most kingdoms don't last. Kingdoms fall if there's a civil war. Governments can collapse if there is a civil war, unless you're America, right? Um, uh, governments, they will fall. Like houses, fall. families fall, and they are divided if there is fighting from within. Churches split because of fighting from within. And then he gives them another parable in verse 27. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. So this is an imagery of government coming from, or, or an army coming from outside to crumble the government from within. Jesus then, notice what Jesus did. He just likened Satan to a strong man, but Jesus just said, but I'm the strongest of them all. I'm the strongest man who will bind up Satan. This is a reference to, you may have this reference in your Bible, to Isaiah 49, 23. You can just write this down, Isaiah 49, 23. And it says this, Can the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? For thus says the Lord of hosts, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken and the prey of the tyrant be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you and will save your children. <laughs> but watch this. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. That all flesh shall know that I am the Lord, your savior and your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Don't miss this. Jesus is referencing this passage in Isaiah. And Jesus is basically essentially saying this. Watch this now. I'm not here to negotiate with Satan. I'm not here to mitigate or to manage the chaos that he is, uh, that he is causing. Jesus didn't come to manage or to, or to just like, okay, Satan, it's time to chill out a little bit. Jesus came to set up dominance and to conquer Satan. And that's the message that he just gave to the Pharisees. You think I'm possessed? You think I'm colluding? You think I'm here to manage? You think I'm here to, to just kind of to, to mitigate all the messes that Satan has made? I'm here to conquer him. And notice what Jesus just said. I'm here to bind him up. Now, remember what happens to that great old serpent in the book of Revelation. He's bound up and then he is thrown into the lake of fire. And Jesus is saying, here's what I've come to do right now. I've come to bind up Satan. And how is he going to do that? Remember Genesis chapter three, after the serpent, um, they, he, he kind of, you know, slithering through the garden and he's like, hey, go grab this apple. And, and you know, the whole just fog, the collapse and sin enters into the garden and God comes down and he indicts the serpent with this, this prophecy that there will be one. You will bruise his heel, 
but he will crush your head. Jesus is alluding to this one day, very soon for Jesus, that he is going to crush the head of the serpent. Him binding up Satan was him crushing his head by the cross of Christ and through the resurrection. So when we pray and we bind up Satan, or you, I don't know if you pray that or not, but let me just tell you, he's already bound. Like, I, don't, I don't know, just don't waste your breath with it. Satan is already bound. Jesus did that on the work of the cross of Christ. Your prayer didn't. You couldn't do that. You can't bind up Satan. Think back when Michael the archangel has encountered Satan. What did he say to him? The Lord of hosts bind you or the Lord of hosts rebuke you. Like even Michael, this archangel, realized that he didn't have this power to conquer Satan. So Jesus is looking at these scribes and Pharisees and he's like, listen, you, you think I'm colluding, you think I'm, I'm in it with Satan, but listen, I'm here to destroy the dominion of darkness and I will do it by the cross and I will do it through the resurrection. Yeah. Now, there's a problem with this, isn't there? Well, well why is there still issues, Right? Why are there still problems in society? Why are families still broken apart? Why are people still dealing with, uh, with, with sufferings and, and depression? Why are people dealing with cancer? Why, why, is, why are we still get this, I don't know, this heaviness and this depravity all around us? Listen, Satan has been bound up. It's likened, you ever kill a snake? What do you, you chop off his head? What is his body doing? And he's going crazy. He's slithering around, doesn't realize that its head's been chopped off. Listen, Satan's head was cut off through the resurrection, but then his slithering tail is still wreaking havoc and, and whacking things and, and still trying to cause chaos in the world. But hear me, one day, Jesus will take Satan who is already bound up and throw him in the lake of fire forever. And we will no longer be under the rule of darkness anymore. We will be with him for eternity. That's the good news of this. And and Jesus is like, listen, I'm here to rescue. I'm here to to take take people from the dominion of darkness into the, the kingdom of light. Watch what he says in verse 28. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. I feel like I need an award. I mean, I'm talking about Satan. I'm talking about like demons. And now I'm talking about blasphemy or something. You ever wonder what blasphemy is? Have you ever wondered that? Like, what is blasphemy? Have I committed blas- something blasphemous? Is it something that haunts you? I'm going to tell you something, and it'll, just, it'll cause you to breathe easy in here today. Think about the context, because context is very important. Jesus is casting out demons, and he's talking about, he's performing miracles, and he's doing all of this through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the scribes come come along and they're like, you know, you're performing all these miracles, but who are they giving the credit to? 
they're, they're giving it, they're giving credit to Satan. You know, if Satan's casting out Satan, you know, these guys at this point are just dumb. All right, let me, let's just be honest, okay? At this point, they've just lost their mind and they're pulling out their last and final, um, you know, gotcha moment, right? So they're giving credit to, and they've seen miracles with their own eyes, yet they still, and yet they refuse to believe that this could only be from God. And yet they think that it is Satan. They're rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit for those who cannot see God at work. Hear me, that's the unforgivable sin. Let me put it to you like this will help us. For those who cannot see the depravity of their own heart, for those who cannot see their need for forgiveness, that's, a, that's, that's something that won't be forgiven. It's not about a specific type of sin. Like if you grew up like, like I did and you said something you shouldn't have and like, don't say that, that's blasphemy, you know? Right? Like it's just kind of like, it's not this thing. Like if you're in here and you're wondering, like, have I committed it? You haven't. Like God has rescued you. You, you can't do it then. You can't commit. If God has rescued you and saved you, then you can't commit the sin of not realizing that you're in need of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? You, you, can't, you can't commit this eternal damnation sin if you've already been forgiven, if you've already seen your need for forgiveness. That's what blasphemy is. It's, it's the person who thinks that they have all they need and they do not need Christ and they cannot see the depravity of their sin and they never turn to repentance and they never seek out forgiveness from God. They do not recognize the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what that is. And then, so then this, this third section here where there's this, this family gathering and it, this is kind of a weird section right here. And his mother and his brothers came, verse 31, and standing outside, they sent him and called him and a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And Jesus says something so crazy. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my, my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of God. He is my brother and my sister and my mother. You would think, because you got to think about Jewish family in this time was a very, very tight knit family. You would think that, like one would think on the outside, Jesus, your family's coming. Jesus could have just simply said, all right, hang on, everybody. Let me go and address mom. Let me go and tell brothers and sister I'm not crazy. Let me go tell them that I am God, all right? But he doesn't do that. You would think that Jesus wouldn't want to break this type of tightness that the Jewish family unit has. But, but what is Jesus doing Again, Jesus is illustrating to us that there are two kingdoms and he has come to set up the new family or the new kingdom and he is giving us a comparing and a contrasting. You are either in the kingdom of darkness or you are a part of Christ's kingdom of light. You are either his family or you are of the family of Satan. 
Like, they, like hear me, and I, I know this is offensive, but there's no middle ground there, right? I know that is an offensive word in our culture today. Like, like it is, it's just, Jesus is the way. Jesus is giving us this. He's saying, listen, you, I am the way to this kingdom of light, this new family that I am creating. It runs deeper than genetics. It runs deeper than blood. It is a part of the family of God. And you are in one of those two families. You are either in the kingdom of darkness or you are in the kingdom of light. Now, all right, let's, let's be real for a second. I would think because Jesus is sinless, because Jesus keeps the law, right? I would think that Jesus would probably go after, you know, his mom. He's like, hey, mom, listen, I, I love you, right? He'd probably go out and give her a hug. We know that Jesus loved his family, like we, this is not a hit on the family unit. So relax. Like this isn't you like get finally, finally, I get to divorce my family. Like finally, my, my, my wife is driving me crazy. And, and so Jesus, I'm just going to interpret this the way I want to interpret. Jesus just said, I can leave her. No, that's not what he said. In fact, who is the last person that Jesus is wanting somebody to look after, right? His mom. Again, man, this is, this is like a Mother's Day um, thing. Sorry, dads. Like, he wasn't trying to look after you. Like, he's just like, he's like Mary, John, this is your mom. Mom, this is John. All right, now you're sons and daughters, right? Jesus is presenting to us, there is this new family, this new kingdom. And you're either a part of his kingdom or you're not. Like, there is no middle ground there. there it's, it's, it's Jesus or it's, Damnation, it's darkness, right? And again, again, I know that is so offensive to us because we like options, you know, like, well, it's my will and it's my way. I want, you know, like we like all of these different things, but that's not the way of the Bible. There's either one truth or there's no truth at all. And it has to be the truth of the gospel and Jesus. Two quick, real quick things, and I've got a final thought that I'm gonna throw out here. Two things I want us to remember from this text. The first thing is that we are in a spiritual battle. I believe it was C.S. Lewis um, when he talked about the dominion of darkness. I think he, I think it was Lewis. He was. He said that you are. You either fall in two categories. You either think that there's a devil behind every bush, or that um, there's no devil at all. And and both of those are errors. This is not a call for us to, you know, every time a bug hits your car, that was a demon. No, baby, that was a bug. A rock hit your windshield, that was the devil. No, girl, you live in Utah. There are rocks everywhere, right? But like, turn on the news, turn on, you know, what seculars are doing, infiltrating our children with their ideologies and all of these things, with their agendas. Hey, please hear me. That's a demonic attack. It's an attack on the family unit. It's an attack on a biblical worldview. And it's demonic in nature. Everywhere you look, I mean, you just kind of turn, I just told you not everywhere you look, but you turn on the news like, and you see all the atrocities of the world. There's a demonic presence that is out to get. 
And you have to recognize that. And, and here's what I would tell you. You can't do that by yourself. You, 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 all right, let me help you. You cannot go into spiritual warfare by yourself. Nobody does that. Right? I told you, even Michael the archangel was like, okay, the Lord rebuke you. Like, understand, yes, Satan has been defeated and he will one day be tossed in the lake of fire. But, but hear me, there is an adversary who James would tell you is studying your moves and wants to trap you with small little thoughts and again, you are not to do this by yourself. Don't ever come to this realization where you think you are so spiritual. I'm going to go to spiritual battle by myself. Please don't do that. Here's what you, you do have the Holy Spirit inside you. Yes, but you also have a church with you that stands with you and that goes to fight with you so that you are not alone in that battle. The other thing from this you know, when Jesus is like, these are my brothers and my sisters and, and the ones who do the what? The will of God. Do the will of God. Do what God has commanded us to do. How do we know what God has commanded us to do if we're not in the word of God? Like we're, we're in, like we are saturating ourselves with the word of God. Like this is how we know what he has commanded us to do. I believe it was 1 John, he says, the one who says, I have come to know him and doesn't keep his commandments. Listen to this indictment. He is a liar. So if you say you know him, but you don't keep his commandments, you don't know him at all. You have what we have pegged as a nominal Christian. Whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know we are in him by keeping his word, obeying his word in 1 John 3.24, it says, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him. And in, in chapter 5, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the father, loves the child born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. James knew this principle all too well too. In James chapter one, verse 22, don't be just hearers of the word only, but what? Yeah, doers. Or, or listen to what he says, or you'll deceive your own self. You have a knowledge of who God is, but you're not doing his word. The Bible just says you are deceiving yourself. One final thought. I'm going to give you this kind of overview, this broad brushstroke of an overview of what we just read. Like C.S. Lewis kind of pegged this. Uh, again, I don't know what's my deal with C.S. Lewis today. Our world today thinks that Jesus is one of these three people, a liar, a lunatic, or he's God. C.S. Lewis writes and was concerned that there were too many people who were saying about Jesus that he was just a good teacher or he was just a, a moral or a noble leader or he's just a, a, like a religious revolutionary type guy, a militant leader, um, that he was a man of compassion and, and great wisdom. And we give Jesus all of these accolades. And there were many people, even in Lewis's time, as there are now, um, and there certainly are 
they believe this, that they just think Jesus is just some, you know, teacher, some noble guy, some really cool dude who taught some really cool things. Listen to what C.S. Lewis wrote, because C.S. Lewis would counter and say that is not conceivable. He wrote that is not possible, that is not a possible consideration of Jesus. He could not be just a good man. He could not be just a moral man. He could not be just a religious teacher. He could not be a trustworthy leader. He could not be wise. He could not be a spiritual mentor only because of one very matter, and that is this. He claimed to be God. And as soon as he claimed to be God, he eliminated himself from those categories because good people, wise people sensibly don't think they are God and they don't want you to think they're God. Jesus has even been deemed by many people as very humble and meek and mild. But what humble person do you know claims to be God? Only one with a type of authority can claim this. Lewis goes on to say, as soon as Jesus declared that he was God, the son, that he had the same nature as God, as soon as he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father, you've seen God, it was no longer possible for him to be just a moral upright man. To simply designate him as a good teacher that is not open as an option. Good, sensible, wise men do not make outrageous claims. One of the things are true, and this is where you've probably heard this quote before. Jesus is either a lunatic on the level of somebody who thinks he's a poached egg, like who says that anymore, or he is a liar at such a calculated and clever and extreme level as to probably be unequaled as a purveyor of deception or... He is Lord. Forget the patronizing nonsense that he's a good teacher. That's not an option. I would think that Lewis summarizes these last three sections of Mark chapter three very well for us. Family comes out and they think Jesus is the lunatic. Pharisees come out and they think that he's a liar. But, but he claims in this, you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Jesus is like, that's a claim of deity. Here, here are our options. Jesus is either you're a lunatic, Jesus is a liar, or Jesus is God. That's, that's it, right? Culture thinks Jesus, good teacher, well, Let's be straight. Culture thinks that Jesus is just a made-up idea. Despite the fact there being historical evidence of there being Jesus. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. And hear me, if you fall into those two categories, there is an offer on the table for you to come to Jesus as God. Repent of your sins and turn to Jesus as the Lord because he is either Lord over every inch, every millimeter of your life, or he's not Lord at all. 
He's either Lord over all aspects of your life or he's just simply not Lord at all. Let's pray. 